0: Welcome to the Construction Disruption Podcast, where we uncover the future of design, building, and remodeling. Hi, I'm Todd Miller of Isaiah Industries, and today my co-host for Construction Disruption is Ryan Bell. Mr. Bell, how are you today? Good morning, Todd. I'm doing great. How are you? doing well also. Well, so we've been playing with something, as you know, and uh, I'm putting you on the spot to uh, introduce the world premiere of a very special poem that's been written about the Construction Disruption Podcast. So um, I will have to let everyone in on it, though. So this was actually written by uh, Bard, which is Google's uh, new AI word generator content generator whatever you want to call it um so anyway so we just challenged it we said write a poem about the construction disruption podcast and bard wrote a poem and it's actually kind of cool so we well i don't know it's cool if you think such things are cool but we will let ryan read it
1: (laughs) i will do my best to read this in a in a poetic tone I think that's
0: important. I I think Barb would intend for that to be the case. Of course, that's how it was was. written.
1: Here we go. Construction Disruption Podcast. We're here to listen to your thoughts on the industry's evolution. We're here to learn and to evolve from technology to design to best practices and more. We'll cover it all and then some. So sit back, relax, relax and enjoy the ride as we explore the world of construction disruption together.
0: Oh, that's awesome. I think we need to make you read that at the start of every episode (laughs) (laughs) going (laughs) forward. I had a hard time not laughing
1: when I was reading it.
0: Cool stuff. Anyway, it's been fun. I, I was very excited when Google sent me a note and said I'd been approved to play around with Bard. And uh, it's 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 kind of fun. It's interesting. Um, so one of the things, um, let our audience know, uh, once again, this episode, we are doing what we call our challenge words. Um, and these are words uh, that each uh, Ryan and I, and also our Guest who is soon to be introduced um, have been given a word by one of the others on the show that we are challenged to work into the conversation. So we encourage the audience kind of listen. Hey, if you pick up on some crazy word we say, um, maybe that's the challenge word. And then, then at the end, we will reveal what those words were, and you can figure out whether you guessed them or not. So, anyway, Ryan, are you ready to go? I'm ready. Cool. Well, I'm excited about today's show. So. Um, Today, in today's show, we're going to take a look at one of the many forms that disruption can take in our industry. Um, Disruption in our industry is often simply a better way of doing things. Now, sometimes it may be a new product, but a lot of times it's a a new practice or a new and better way of doing things. Um, And and that would be a method of doing the day-to-day that works better, both for the client and for the provider. So today's guest is Ken Brennan of Quantum Contract Solutions, based in Perth, Australia, Uh, with advanced degrees in construction, economic, and engineering manager management, uh, Kian has extensive business experience. Dealing with construction contracts. Um, he's worked for companies such as Chevron, Impex, and Turner and Townsend. It was out of those experiences that Ken started quantum contract solutions to help construction businesses reduce their liability, maintain good cash flow, avoid disputes, and maintain profitability through contract management. Um, Ken, welcome to construction disruption.
2: Nice to be here. I really quite enjoyed that poem. I was chuckling away as you said, as as uh, as Ryan went through it. It was uh, it was they they got the what it what they call it when you were the rhyming couplets. I think is what they call it when you get poetry and they rhyme every second word. It was or second line. It was pretty good. So I, I will have to
0: share. I, I asked Bard to write a poem about a red poodle because. Um, one of the members of our family is a red poodle who is very dear to my wife's heart, and I, I had Bard write this poem. I sent it to my wife. I truly think it brought a tear to her eye. So, <laughs> very I, I had one
2: recently. Actually, you'll enjoy this, Todd. Um, I got a message from my wife on on WhatsApp, and uh, it was an apology. Of some kind. And then later on that night, she told me that ChatGBT had written it. And I was like, oh, I, I finally <laughs> thought you, you, you got it. For once, I thought you got it. And we just had a good laugh about it. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh. <laughs> I
0: wonder how many people are asking AI to write random apologies these days. <laughs> oh,
2: gosh. <laughs> I think re- I think it's, it's pretty rife for resignation letters. Dr- drum me up a resignation letter you know i think there that's people are doing it a lot wow wow interesting well we're
0: anxious to jump into things uh with you here today Ken. um what you're doing seems really disruptive to me and and of course we like that um in our day-to-day jobs here at isaiah industries um, we work largely with smaller residential contracts and projects so um this idea of a contractor maybe having another company help them with the administration of contracts is, you know, kind of foreign and and new to us. Um, But your earlier experience as someone who was working on behalf of clients to negotiate contracts with construction companies, I'm kind of curious, as you went through that experience, um, what problems in the whole process did you see um, that, you know, got you to thinking there has to be a better way to do this?
2: I think ultimately it w- it ended up being that watching a lot of these smaller companies losing money going out of business unnecessarily time and time again and I say unnecessarily because it didn't have to happen they just didn't understand how to do the contractual part of the construction game properly and so I do use the the term construction game because there is contracts and you've got to play. So you're going to be issued a contract that you have to sign and you don't have to sign everything that's in there. And in the post-award space, you have to submit documents that it asks you to sign. And so what we like to say to our clients um, is that construction really is two parts. You've, you've got to construct, you've got to deliver, you've got to supply a material, you've got to do something, but then you've got to get paid for it. And so once you understand the contracting side of it, then you can understand the getting paid side of it a little bit better. You can, and I have examples, you can absolutely deliver a really, really good job, do a great, fantastic piece of work for your client and still come out at a loss because you didn't manage it contractually properly.
0: You know, as you said that, it got me to thinking about You know, the number of times that I as a business owner have Sign contracts of various types and, you know, you get presented with it and it's five or six pages and initial the bottom of every page and sign here at the end. And, you know, you look at it and your eyes glaze over and it just, you almost feel like you've been medicated. I mean, it just, none of this stuff makes any sense to you. Um, do you think, I mean, is that one of the reasons that sometimes people kind of miss it on contracts is they simply don't even take the time to, to read it or really understand it?
2: Yeah, understanding is the main thing. So a lot of in in the construction industry, one of the reasons I love it, is I'm third generation at this stage, so it's bred into me. But a lot of the owners of of CEO companies have gotten their hands dirty, like literally got their hands dirty. It's not the same in other industries, a lot of other in other industries they'll bring in C-suite people who are professional managers. In construction, people rise up from the bottom. And you if you start a business, you've risen up from the bottom more often than not. And so that type of person, more often than not, may not have been educated at a university level and might be intimidated by this particular document. And so my challenge to all of those people, and then just not bother doing it. And so my challenge all of the time is you can get a drawing that has been put together by an architect or an engineer. Complex, complex drawing. You can look at it. And you can understand it perfectly because of years of of experience and years of understanding. In construction, there's a third document. And that document is the contract, the terms and conditions of the contract, which is another document written by a lawyer this time. But you still need to understand how to interpret it to do very well in construction. And so you don't necessarily need to understand everything in it, but you need to understand the key things that impact your company and what are the things that could ultimately, you know, lose you money, tighten up cash flow, put you in a risky position. Those particular things, if you know how to tweak those things, you can set yourself up for success in that post-award phase.
0: Very interesting. So kind of give us an overview, if you would, of um, what Quantum does for your clients. I mean, how do you help them? What does the process look like? Um, How is your involvement? Um,
2: Just give us an overview of that, if you would. Yeah, so so typically what would happen is if you were a larger construction company, you would ideally in the best case scenario, we'll just go with the best case. Best case scenario, if we look at it, a Turner of the world or, or one of those huge companies, right? They have teams of lawyers, teams of contracts people on their team, right? In, in-house. And you've got to ask yourself, why did I have those people? Because they cost a lot of money. And there is an ROI on that side of the business in construction. That's the reason that they have it. And one of the key things in construction is as you go down the contractual chain, as you've got the principal at the top, and you've got your GC, your main contractor, and then you've got your uh, subbies, right? It doesn't really matter how big that is, but as you go down that contractual chain, the contracts get more and more aggressive. They push the risk down, they push the risk down, they push the risk down. And so the guy at the top, or, or you know, reasonably at the top, they've got teams of contracts people and they, then send a worse contract down the way to to the subcontractors or the smaller construction companies. And so the the resulting problem that they have is they have the worst contract in the whole contractual chain and they have no resources to deal with it. And they might just open it and they might just sign it as is. And they're literally putting themselves into huge problems potentially right and what we you know what's the point in 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 signing a a better contract in the first place and it is essentially to protect the downside so if you're in construction long enough okay and and uh, you know i think both of you guys have been you will see something go wrong something will go wrong on a project at some stage without a doubt and so what we're trying to do is we're trying to make that thing a little blip rather than a big down right so if you're growing as a company the little the, that bad thing that happens is just a little blip and then you continue to grow it's not the big down and then you just all of a sudden you're in trouble you're trying you can't recover from that and so that's a, you know that's warren buffett's philosophy and there's a lot of uh, great investors out there that it's about protecting your downside so that's the whole purpose of signing a better contract so they will negotiate hard the, those big turner companies with those teams don't negotiate because they they know the benefit of that and a lot of these companies, and I'm not saying to do this, is just to understand the game. They will win a project at a loss or maybe break even, knowing that they have the skills in the post-award phase to be able to get change orders, extensions of time, and basically recoup their margin in that post-award phase. So again, those people are paying for themselves, and you're getting the value from getting those change orders and following the contract in. There is value in that Okay, so there the you know, that's kind of the value proposition of having contracts people, contracts managers, lawyers on your on your team. Now, as time has progressed over the last 10 or 15 years, the construction has changed, and I'm open to listening to your opinion on this as well. I'd I'd love to hear it, in that the relationships are not what they used to be. It used to be all about relationships. All about relationship. Now it's Yep, relationships are definitely important, but it's not the number one thing anymore. And so with that change, I, and I believe the reason that it has changed is technology has come in, even smaller construction companies have pretty good corporate governance these days, which means that if you submit a change order, they'll have a box to say, did they comply with the contract? Yes or no? No, they didn't. It's not getting approved. And so what that now means is now that you're a subcontractor, you need to now have contracts people on your side to be able to play this game because, again, the game is playing whether you want to be playing it or not. And so if you're a company that maybe you send it out to a lawyer to review your contracts or you review your contracts yourself before you do it or, um, you know, uh, how else you would do it or in, in your post-award phase, you get your project managers to do all of the paperwork as a bit of a side hustle to their regular day job, then that's kind of where we come in. And so we, our, our system is essentially a combination of technology and people, which is kind of leveraging people from all around the States to basically do that work remotely for you so we will review your contracts we'll negotiate your contracts we will do all of the paperwork for you um to make sure that it all gets submitted perfectly and on time so essentially as a company you can just concentrating concentrate on doing an amazing job in construction supplying what you need to supply building what you need to build and then we'll just look after the contractual thing stuff on your behalf that's it in a nutshell
0: very interesting. I'm, I'm curious. So I, I thought I knew the answer to this and now I'm wondering, maybe I don't. So are your clients more often large GCs or subcontractors or sometimes even property owners or all of the above?
2: It depends on what they will. So all, all, all of the above will want their contracts reviewed regardless. But our little niche that we like to work with and can help the most are larger subcontractors.
0: Okay. Okay, Very so good.
2: individual civil companies, fabricators, roofing companies, guys that do one thing. And if I'm if I'm being, you know, a um, bit of my passion about it is they're the companies that do the actual construction. So you've got your GCs, as you know, they're like a finance company. So they'll win the work, they'll get a... Um, They'll get a, a loan from somewhere, they'll subcontract out the work and they'll make it money on the Delta. What well, the subcontractors, the subbies will actually build a thing or, or do whatever it is.
0: Makes sense? Right. right. Yep, sure does, and and you had alluded to that earlier, just kind of the change over the years in terms of relationships and the role relationships play, and yeah, you're right, and and our company is kind of interesting. So we've been a manufacturer building materials for um, over 40 years, and you know we still have a lot of older loyal customers, 30, 35, 40 year customers, um, that really that relationship still is what. Everything is based on it It means everything to them and everything to us. Um, but you're absolutely right. As I look at our newer customers and some of the newer types of work that we're being blessed with, um, a lot of times it's very different. It's much more contractual and, you know, just a, just a number and you got to do everything right and you got to know what you're agreeing to. So I'm, I'm curious as you look back on clients that you have worked with, any stories come to mind of situations like, Man, we really saved that guy in that situation. Or any any stories
2: like that come to mind? I can tell you, uh, there's plenty of stories. Uh, he says, shuffling around in his seat. Um, <laughs> but I can tell, I, I can tell you uh, the probably the worst war story I've ever heard. We ended up like they came to us after we ended up helping but not saving it, right? But we ended up definitely helping the the situation. But I'm gonna tell you how badly it can go. So this was a civil company and they were, it's, you know, I think it was a, it was a 6 or $7 million job. And they were working with the, the GC's project manager. And he said to them, hey guys, look, essentially i'm paraphrasing i don't know what he said but i'm assuming he's saying this he said um it's look don't bother submitting loads of little change orders i know you're delayed i know i've asked you to do a load of different stuff and what i want you to do is wrap it all up into one change order for me and i'll approve it one big right and so I'm trying to recall the actual value. So they go, okay, we'll do that. And so they went ahead and they did the work and they didn't submit it. And they they prepared this one change order that pushed out the time. Uh, so it was an EOT change order wrapped up into one, whatever whatever it was. And it was looking for time and at about $1.5 million in, in costs. Wow. And the project manager approved it. And that was great. And then they invoiced against it and they got paid it which was great and then what a lot of these bigger companies do is they bring out what's called bring in what's called a closeout team which is a company that comes in at the end of the project they pull the project manager away and it's this new team that comes in and this new team is oh look we don't have any relationship with anybody we just got to stick to the contract and you know we got it we're going to close out this project essentially and do you know what payment on account is Payment he Help me understand what that means. So payment on the account is where the kind of money is kind of f- goes freely between over and back. So they can recoup gotcha. money if they'd like to. Gotcha. And so they said, okay. And um, so just you know, this this project was payment on account, and they're like, yep, yeah, sure. And so we look back, and it looks like all of those variations and that time that we previously approved and previously paid was done incorrectly. And you didn't comply with the contract, and therefore we shouldn't have approved it, and therefore we're rescinding it. And we, your last payment claim is a million dollars, and we're going to offset it against that last payment claim. We're not paying it. Wow. Wow. That was that was potentially the worst I have ever come across. Jeez.
0: That's,
1: uh, yeah, that's crazy. Is that and- a common situation that it's handled like that, or... Or this is just kind of an extreme example of it?
2: I would suggest it's the the, the common situation that happened. That's a, definitely an extreme version, okay? But the common situation that actually does happen is, and we have this phrase called squeaky bum time. And squeaky bum time was developed by this football manager in the UK, um, soccer manager, you guys would say. And he was... 30 years in the making, I won everything all the time. And he talked about squeaky bum time, which was the last quarter of a football game where people are shifting around in the plastic seats in the stadium, squeaking, (laughs) and it's that last bit that matters, essentially. And so when we're talking to our clients about contract management, we say to them, look, it's all about that last quarter. In that last quarter is where everything kicks off. All you need to do is have all your paperwork in place. So when they're coming around looking to save money, uh, recoup money because they're over budget, they look at you and go, oh, those guys got all their paperwork in place. Let's just let's just go somewhere else. Because the game that they play is with your final account. The game is where they play those final few uh, payment applications that you put in, invoices, um, is where it matters. They're the real That's when they start playing games and start saying, we're not going to pay you. They threaten you with liquidated damages um, and then offset it against your final payment. And that's when it all happens. So while that was an extreme example, the reality is that final quarter of a construction project is where it all kicks off contractually.
0: Well, you made it very obvious the stakes are high, that's for sure. And and just our audience knows squeaky bum time is not one of our challenge words. It will be on a future episode, though. <laughs> I absolutely promise it. Uh, so your uh, your clients, is is your relationship with your clients such that they usually come to you on every project to review things, or do they just do it on certain projects? I'm, I'm curious about that.
2: So we have the two sides. So we have Contract reviews, and then we have post-award contracts administration, essentially. And so, okay. what's always happening? People are always bidding on projects, which means you're all—they're always getting contract reviews. So, they'll we'll—they'll we'll, they'll use us on retainer for that. We'll, you know, every time okay. they get a contract to go, we'll just send it in to us. We'll get it done. We'll spit it back to them, um, highlight all the risks tell them what not to agree to, prepare a document that they can submit to their client and explaining why you're not agreeing to X, Y, and Z and what should be in there instead. Um, And then for that post-award phase, it depends on the company and the size of what they're doing. Sometimes they'll use us for a big risky one that they just like, we gotta be on top of this one, or maybe they they don't for another project, it's up to them. And I guess the benefit of our service is unlike hiring people internally, you can just turn us on and off. You can turn off like whatever. Oh, yeah, I'll use you for this. I won't use you for that. And it gives you that flexibility. But particularly in construction, you've got that. Uh, I mean, if you've been in the industry for, for 30, 40 years, you, um, you, you said you, you know there's the bell curve nature of construction. It's, it's up and it's down, right? There's in between, there's peaks and troughs. And in between, the, in those troughs, you've got to make decisions. Are we going to hold on to this guy or are we going to let go of this guy? And so if you've hired someone, what are you going to do? Where with us you can just go out we'll turn you off and then when we get another project we'll turn you back on again and then we obviously we only do one thing and this is one of the things i really wanted to when you said you're in business so long todd i wanted to ask you a question because we got some data and i want to ask you about it but we only do one thing so we're really good at that one thing and so from a contracts management contracts administration point of view i would say of course we're always going to do a better job than than a, a normal company because it's our bread and butter. We only do this. Whereas you hire someone in, you got to get your own systems in place. You got to do all of the stuff you got to learn. And you're also constructing or supplying or whatever it happens to be. Um, does that make sense?
0: Yeah, no, it really does. It really does. So,
2: what's your question for us? I'm curious. Yeah. So, over time, and so we've got, we work with a lot of construction companies. And we did a bit of an analysis of the most successful construction companies. And one, actually, unsurprisingly, was duration. The ones that would been in business longer or bigger. That's not rocket science. Mm-hmm. The other one is family-run businesses were the most successful. They were the two key traits. Family-run businesses and ones that have been in business for a long period of time. And so my... Thesis on that, having looked at that data, was, I believe, that those companies make decisions based on a longer time horizon, because they want to pass it on to a son, or they they they've been in business, they, you know, they understand, so they they're not making a decision on a risky project this quarter this year they're thinking five and ten years time and so when you've got that viewpoint you go well i'm not taking this risky job on i'd rather wait to have a better job that is a little bit easier it's not as much margin but the risk is lower and they make those decisions over time rather than these big hairy contracts uh, and then it goes wrong and then you go out of business so my question to you having been in business and having a business for that long are those, is that, is my thesis reasonably accurate or is there something different? No, I, I think it's very
0: accurate. Um, I, I definitely think privately owned businesses, and and I'll say privately owned rather than necessarily family owned, although it may be family owned, but mm-hmm. um, privately owned businesses definitely, um, you know, when you know that you don't have to answer to a, an outside board of directors or public shareholders um, you take a different viewpoint on things. You're answering to yourself, maybe a closely knit group of board of advisors, whatever that might be, um, maybe other family members. Um, it's kind of interesting. So I was talking to a gentleman earlier this week um, who he's involved, he, he invests in businesses and advises other business investors and things like that. And um, he said, we, we got onto the subject of venture capital money a little bit, and, you know, we're seeing more and more venture capital um, buying up construction companies here in the U.S. And he said, and and I have, the, this, this statistic blows me away, but I really have no reason to doubt him. Um, he said that between eight and nine of the businesses that will be acquired by investment capital or some sort of outside capital. Between eight and nine fail. Now, I'm not quite sure what the time span on that is. I'm not even sure what his definition of fail is. Um, but oftentimes, those are privately held or family businesses that sold out to investment capital. And he said eight to nine of those uh, ventures will fail. Um, but the the venture capitalists just keep doing it because the one or two that make it make them a lot of money. Um, and so it was, it was very interesting. No, I think you're spot on. That was a very long answer to a short but There question. is
2: another statistic as well that, that really backs up what he, he said, and that is, and this is, this is globally accurate, um, more so in, I'm, I'm assuming, different states and different countries, depending on, on various factors, but the construction industry has the highest amount of insolvencies out of any industry. So the the figure I have is 26% of all insolvencies come from the construction industry. I've never heard that figure does not surprise me at all. Uh, I mean,
0: it's a little bit more of a a base figure. But, you know, historically, if you look at uh, Better Business Bureau complaints here in the U.S., um, you know, there are three primary things that always lead the way. Construction companies, a lot of times roofing contractors. Car dealerships and cell phone companies, and oh. that's yo know,
2: who gets all the complaints. Sorry, there was one other thing I forgot to mention. It was that the other thing that was they all had in common was that they all did one thing. They they weren't they didn't have multiple things that they did. They all did one thing, uh, which you I mean, thought of, the, of this. Successful companies. These successful companies—they all yeah. were a steel fabricator. They were uh, supplied X, Y, and Z, and sure, they might have different products, but they didn't try and overcomplicate things. They just did one thing very, very well. And I guess you know, simple, simple scales and fancy fails. <laughs> Ooh, I like that. I have not heard that before. I like that. That, that is good. Yeah,
0: and I—and that makes that's certainly been my. You know, observation over the years, what well, years as well. I mean, uh, the smaller or not necessarily smaller, but the privately held companies, uh, tend to know what their chicken sandwich is. So, so the founder, <laughs> uh, who was a turret, Kathy of Chick fil A. Um, always said, we have to know what our chicken sandwich is. We've got to be able to do that Um, because that was their mainstay. That was what everything was about. And, you know, even if you compare that to other fast food companies, um, a lot of them that kind of go on these trajectories of ebbs and flows and so forth Mm -hmm. uh, are the companies that venture into different areas. I mean, suddenly Burger King is doing chicken on, you know, fried chicken on top of uh, hamburgers. Um, but Chick Fil A has always known what their chicken sandwich was, and they've stuck to it. And their tra- trajectory of growth has been very continuous.
2: It's the it's the most profitable per per store per per per, per location of all of the fast fooders, is Chick Fil A. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, yeah. and and also the thing I respect, and it I think it's probably a core value culture thing. I think the rest of the country respect, regardless of creed, is that they close on a Sunday. Like how many Bain McKinsey consultants came in to their company and said, if you open one more day, you will make like a seventh more money guaranteed. And that's going to equate to an extra how many millions of dollars. And they just continue to say no.
0: So are there Chick-fil-A's in Australia? I don't even know.
2: No, there's not. There's no Chick-fil-A's in Australia.
0: Wow, interesting. I've been to Australia once and it's been probably about 15 years ago. I just, that was a really long flight, Ken, I got to tell you.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'm used to it. I'm used to it at this stage. So, yeah, just got to do it. Although
0: it was. It was interesting. So that was back when things were a little more lax on flights. And um, so on my flight back to the States to LAX, uh, Richard Simmons was on my flight, um, oh, wow. the uh, exercise guru. And he was exactly what you think. He was just this flamboyant. He was wearing the little silk shorts. He was up and down running all over the plane. It was, um, it was entertaining. That's for that's sure.
2: Fantastic. That's fantastic. It's a great story.
0: <laughs> so... Are most of the projects you're working with, I mean, are they typically larger projects or are, you know, the subbies seeing benefit to you even for smaller projects? I'm just kind of curious about the scope.
2: Yes. Size-wise, uh, we, would per- we have some smaller ones on case-by-case basis based on, you know, if they're a good fit. But typically, the, the revenue would need to be more than $5 million a year. As a okay. subcontractor to be to be a fit, so we've got guys that are around that level we've got guys that are in the hundreds of millions as well so it uh it really depends
0: gotcha very good um so I certainly gosh again you know what what you're doing just is very much filling a need and saving folks from a lot of heartache and potential problems and uh, even disaster in many cases i mean is this something that you're seeing continue to grow and and i'm a little curious too what what do you really enjoy about what you're doing
2: well construction to start i mean i started um driving a dumper when i was um 13 years old on a on a construction site and it was it like it was a way for me to make money to go on holidays when i was uh, my parents used to say to me we'll we'll take you on holidays but you when we get there you got you're spending money you got to earn it yourself so they used to get me a job on a construction site and i essentially worked my socks off and it would that was kind of got me into it my granddad was in it Um uh, he had a, he had a, a contracting firm. Um, in the west of ireland in galway so construction has always been my passion i've just been i've been i love adventure that's how i got to australia uh, i worked in the middle east i worked in iraq i work in saudi and qatar on, on major projects you know in the middle of nowhere any any bit of adventure i'm there so that, that's my passion itself is construction contracts is what i'm very good at and my other passion would probably be scaling and growing businesses uh, particularly in construction so that's that's where that's where I jam essentially.
0: Wow, that's awesome! Um, you kind of led into it a little bit there, but you know, we do think a lot of our audience members are younger folks in design and construction. Any particular advice for them um, as they're getting started out in careers in this industry?
2: Yeah, actually, I, I was talking about this. So there, there, I didn't do this, and I would say it set me back ten ten years maybe. And it, it does depend on what you want to do, but I was advised to go client side. So my my grandpa- granddad had a, a construction company. They said no, that subcontractor contractor side is very hard. You gotta you know you gotta kill your own meat. You gotta you gotta you know win your own work. All, all of this sort of stuff, and um, it's hard. It's difficult work. And go go get a degree. Go work client side. It's more stable. Uh, you probably get paid more money as well. And that is. That's absolutely true. That's all true, right? Straight out of university, that is all true. Um, And I did that. However, and it was useful for me, actually, when I did start my business because I knew how the insides of the bigger company work. So I was able to go right. Well, this is what they're looking for. So if you do the X, Y, and Z, you're going to get your change order in the door. They're going to agree to this, and that's kind of that's kind of our secret sauce, I guess, um, and also the volume. Our volume, if we've done over two thousand six hundred contract reviews, we know what to try and negotiate. So while I did that, and I was client side, and that was kind of the right thing to do in theory, but I um, I didn't get any real business exposure so if you're actually going contractor side you di- for that first 10 years you will definitely get paid less there's no there's no there's no bones about it however your experience will be so much more because you'll get exposed to the money side of it you'll get exposed to balance sheet cash flow payments difficult conversations and arguments in meetings where you're you're trying to explain your case and that and all that you won't get you won't see any of that on the client side until you're way further down your career, and so the exposure that you get that side is so much more. And if you wanted to start a business, then you're you're just so much closer, so much quicker. So uh, a good a good uh, mentor of mine says, you know, don't invest in the S&P five thousand or five hundred; invest in the SME five hundred. And so by <laughs> by doing that, you. You, you will get so much more experience so much quicker. And I think that's what it's about. If you've decided construction is your game, if you decide you want to start a business in construction, that would be the way I go. Go find a really good subcontractor, a good operator, and then do your best in that business for five, ten years, and you'll learn everything. You'll learn everything you need to know.
0: Awesome. Hey, this has been great. Um, Very informative. Um, So we're kind of close to wrapping up what we call the business end of things. Um, Is there anything we haven't covered today that you'd like to get in here at the end with our audience?
2: Um, Well, I'll just bang out hopefully some nuggets, some three three quick nuggets. One one thing, if if there's only three things you want to negotiate in your contract, you want to look at capping your overall liability. That's one thing. Look at that particular thing termination clause go scan just look at a contract for termination clause. can i get out just read that a lot of times it will say all the ways that they can terminate you and you can't terminate them
0: yeah
2: that's and so you want to be able to be able to terminate them so that's an important one um and the last one is consequential damages is an absolute killer right Mm -hmm. so liquidated damages let's just say you've been asked to build a hotel liquidated damages um, you have to pay back to the client for you being late on the project, which is fair. you delayed um, them. They've, they've now had to pay all these other contractors standby rates or whatever because you, you hadn't finished your thing, right? So fair enough. But consequential damages is having to repay the client, and the, the example is building a hotel, for them not being able to rent out the hotel rooms, right. which is loss of profit. Yeah. And their loss of profit could be bigger than your whole company. Yeah. So. Be careful of that one. They're kind of the three ones I would look for very quickly if you were just scanning a construction contract.
0: Great advice, and we'll be sure to capture those in the show notes as well. So, yeah, good advice. Um, So, here we are close to closing out, and uh, like we always ask all of our guests, I'm going to ask you if you'd like to be a participant in what we call our rapid-fire questions. So, Ken, these are seven questions, maybe serious, maybe silly. Um, All you got to do is give a quick answer, and uh, our audience understands that you have no idea what we're about to ask you. So, um, are you feeling up to the challenge of rapid-fire? Absolutely. Let's do it. Here it is late on a Friday night your time with the time difference. So thank you. You're welcome. Okay, we will ask these. We'll alternate. Um, Ryan, you want to ask the first one?
1: Sure, I would love to. What uh, product have you bought and and recently um, that has been kind of a disruptor, game changer in your
2: life? This 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 thing. This this road microphone thing. I used to have one that was just in front of me, but this thing is great because it rolls around and it goes down, and it goes up. That's one of those things that makes my life better. I was actually talking to my wife, is there stuff in your life where you know if I just spent a hundred dollars, it would make my my day so much yeah. better? And this is one of those things.
0: <laughs> I
1: agree. Yeah.
2: Good
0: thing. Okay, question number two. Um, do you have a hidden talent?
2: And if so, what is it? Yes, I was a uh, national champion on the bike in the velodrome. So velodrome cycling, you know, they, they go around in circles on a wooden velodrome. That, so. that,
0: that really scary thing, the, the, the Dome of Death or the, whatever? The
2: Dome of Death, yeah. So uh, <laughs> a sprint, which is just, you, know, you just—you go for three laps, you race one-on-one with one other guy. And um, so 2015, I was national champion in, in that particular discipline. How fast do you go when you
1: when you're racing like that?
2: You the thing is, it's it's about acceleration because you you start at a like one and a half laps you are trying to go as slow as possible like literally you're gonna if you look at YouTube it, they are going crawling along yeah and bang but probably about eighty eighty one eighty
1: two, Mm-hmm. that's
2: crazy wow.
0: that is that is so do you still do this or is this. Eight, sorry, that's in kilometers in,
2: that's kilometers an hour. Kilometers yeah. an hour. That, oh, okay. That'll be the fastest ever. And I can't remember if that was just yeah, behind a motorbike or if that was just me. But anyway. So is this something you still do or
0: does your life insurance company uh, say absolutely not? <laughs> I, I still race bikes, but on the road, not in the Validorm anymore. Okay. Cool. Okay.
1: Next question. If you had to eat a crayon, what color would
2: you choose? A crayon. Yeah. I think green, because maybe it looks like a vegetable, and I kind of trick myself into it or something. <laughs> <laughs> good answer. Uh, we, we like that
0: question. And, and everyone has an answer. Everyone's like, they got an answer, so it's good. Okay, and a,
1: and a reason.
0: Yeah, and a reason. Yep. Next question. Um, you're trying to survive a zombie apocalypse. What one person do you definitely
2: want on your team— Oh, oh, oh. you know, it's so funny, though. I've had this conversation with people um, about, (laughs) about exactly what I would do. And just so you know, what I would do is you go straight to the local grocery store and then take it over. That's 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 the number one thing. Once you're in there, because in all of the movies and other it's the guy with the grocery store like is the guy in charge, right? So that's the one thing to do. <laughs> um, so you, so you want the local grocer on your team, maybe. <laughs> yeah, the local grocer. Um so is this like a movie store or is it coming someone
0: local to me or we, we have asked this question. We've had everything from my grandmother to Sylvester Stallone or someone like that. Yeah, yeah.
2: I, th- I think I think it probably it'd probably just be my wife because I think it'd be less fighting and more just sitting in dark rooms hiding and chatting. Who, who better? <laughs> cool. What would you like to be remembered for? Ooh, I would. Uh, when my granddad died, he it, it said the man in in the newspaper it said the man who built Galway. And I would like to be remembered in construction for something similar. Um when I when I when I kicked the bucket that I made a a, a measurable difference to the construction industry in a positive way.
0: Good answer. Okay. Next question. What was the
2: first car you ever owned? It uh, that's a tricky one. Um it was actually... Oh, no, 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 no. It was a different one. Um, I can't even remember it. This was a whole thing when I was a kid. Um, I, you, you can't drive in Ireland until you're 16 or something. And um, even then, it's really hard to get your license. Insurance is really expensive. And um, my parents said to me at the time, no, you, obviously you can't drive and we're not getting you a car. And so I went and got a job and I bought a car. And it was just this completely rundown thing. And I can't for the life remember what type of car it was. But my first real car was a Peugeot 206. So there was another type of car. I just can't exactly remember what it was. It was a complete banger. But that <laughs> Peugeot 206 was, was the first car, actual real car. All right, final question.
1: I'm actually going to turn this into a two-part question. So part one is, what's your favorite
2: traditional Australian food? Traditional Australian food? Um, barbecue. Barbecue. Yeah, just barbecue. Okay, yeah.
1: And just barbecue. Barbecue and, and beer. Is beer count as food? And barbecue and beer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sure. <laughs> it goes with the meal. So, what's your least favorite traditional Australian food? Something, as you would say, that you would throw in the dumper?
2: Oh, kangaroo. Kangaroo. Yeah. Really? Kangaroo is not tasty. No. It's very, very gamey. Very gamey. Ah. Is it popular? Yeah. I mean, it's everywhere. I mean, there's a lot of kangaroos here, so there's a lot of kangaroo meat. Very
0: interesting. I did not have kangaroo when I was there, but I was the guy who in Melbourne spotted a penguin. We're driving along the uh, seashore. And I look over. And there's a penguin out there, and my host was like, "No, we don't have penguins here." And sure enough, there was a penguin there. So that, <laughs> that's, that's my one claim to fame. That sounds like you. an
2: escapee from the from the zoo or something, is it? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Everyone was pretty confused, but sure enough, he was there. Uh, well, this has been great. Um, so our challenge words, uh, <laughs> Ryan scraped by on the skin by the skin of his teeth, but we were all successful. Um, Ryan, your word was dumper. That was my plan. I was waiting for
1: that oh, question, okay. uh-huh. so That's I knew
0: awesome. I was going to sneak it in there. Carefully planned. I I should have switched up the order of the questions and not given you that question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I was. Oh, I was planning on you asking me to go first. So. <laughs> Well, Ken worked in your word as well, but Ken's word was actually Sucks. socks, which he worked in. And I used the word Medicaid. I worked it in early. I didn't want to have to worry about it. So I got that one done.
2: I tried to try you off, Ryan, by also using dumper.
1: <laughs> I know I I heard it and so when when you did that so we haven't been releasing video but we're going to start releasing video and we have to try not I mean we've always kind of all smiled knowing that no one's going to see the video when someone uses their word (laughs) but I realize we're all smiling here someone uses a word and now that's That's going to give it away for anyone watching on YouTube that's right oh
0: well interesting oh well (laughs) <laughs> well, Ken, this has been great. I really enjoyed it and learned a whole lot. Thank you very much for your time here today, especially uh,
2: late on a Friday evening, your time. It's, it's fine. Working, working globally, working in the States, I'm up early and I'm up late, and you just, you just got to do what you got to do. So my, my workday tends to be a, a funky get up super early, take a bit of time off in the middle of the day, and then go, go on to late in the evening. Well, no doubt this uh, this is not unusual to you to work odd hours, but
0: thank you again. And uh, this has been great. And I want to thank our audience uh, for tuning into this episode of Construction Disruption uh, with special guest Kian Brennan of Quantum Contract Solutions. Uh, we will put his contact information uh, in the show notes. But why don't you go ahead and tell us how can people best get in touch with you, Ken?
2: Yes, so whoever's listening, so the the first thing I would point people to is we've got a YouTube channel called Construction Secrets. On there, there's a playlist. There's 16 videos showing you exactly how to negotiate your construction contract. Totally free. Just go crazy. That'll give you everything you need. And if you want us to do it for you, go to quantumcontractsolutions.com. Awesome. Well, you're serving
0: a great need and we thank you for that and uh, look forward to uh, continued success and growth of your business as well. Um, so to our audience, uh, please watch for future episodes of Construction Disruption. We are always blessed with great guests, just like Ken today. Um, please don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or YouTube. Um, until the next time we're together, keep on disrupting. Don't forget also to have a positive impact on everyone you encounter. Make them smile. Encourage them to simple yet powerful things that we can all do to change the world. God bless and take care. This is Isaiah Industries signing off until the next episode of Construction Disruption. This podcast is produced by Isaiah Industries, manufacturer of specialty metal roofing and other building products.